Welcome to Fresh Pressed for May 11th, 2021. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and stellar grooves. Yeah. Okay. So, folks, our theme this week is galaxies. Because May the 11th be with you. Yeah, we did preview doing a May the 4th theme, but as you, the listener, are assuredly aware, last week on May the 4th, we did a much more interesting podcast, and so elided the theme entirely. That's not what the word elided means. Anyway, and as we know, Andrew, Star Wars uh, occurs in a galaxy, it's it's actually a big, it's a whole thing. As as many things do, it occurs in a galaxy. Not everything, though. Not everything. But our songs occur in a galaxy, so let's hear these galaxy-based songs, or stellar grooves, I suppose. Andrew? Yeah, I did, at least I didn't say galaxy-based songs. That would have really sucked. You know, like carbon-based life forms, galaxy-based songs? Yeah, no, I get it. The song that I have for you today is a song by Duke Shirell, and it is called Liquid Galaxies, Grains of Sand. Duke Shirell is the pseudonym slash band name of DeAndre Shirell. And the band is sort of him plus some other musicians, but it's mostly him. Um, He's a singer and guitarist. His website is interesting. Oh, I didn't look at his website. What's the URL? DukeShirellMusic.com. Oh, oh God. <laughs> oh, God. This is the worst website. <laughs> Sorry, but dude. It's kind, of, it's kind of charming in, nope. in a way. It's got all of the worst things about every website. It doesn't have any autoplay music. Okay. It has almost all of the worst things about every website. Everything is readable on the website. The, um, No. That's not true. And this is extremely unfriendly, like accessibility unfriendly. Certainly. Anyway, it's a bad website, but it's a good song. Um, I mentioned the website because I wanted to look at uh, some biographical information about him. It's interesting and also slightly confusing in in the way that his website sort of uh, decor is as well. So uh, he he was very into music growing up. He was mostly into R&B until he heard Eric Clapton and Parliament Funkadelic, which are two different people. I mean, two different artists. But I think you can get sort of a... This is this song is mostly on the Parliament side, and that's what most of his stuff is. But there is also just like this guitar solo in the middle, which does not feel like it belongs in... Especially like the effects that are on the guitar specifically. That's more of the Eric Clapton maybe? Yeah, I don't even know if it's Eric Clapton, but it's it's just it doesn't feel like Parliament. It feels more classic rock to me. 
maybe not the the actual solo itself, but definitely the timbre of the guitar in it. Sure. But then we're taking a we're, we take a sort of turn. So that's that's sort of like a basic thing. Like ah oh, yes, uh, you know, I studied a lot of music, and then I got into this one particular thing, and that sort of changed my life. And that's was blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, you know, he went to college, he started playing gigs, and then it says, it was not until his senior year and running into Parliament Funkadelic, DeAndre learned secrets of his mother's side of the family and that she used to perform with them. What? No further information. I mean, that's an awesome secret. Yeah, I mean, I guess they, I guess it's a secret, so that's why this is all all he'll tell us on his website, but I would love to hear more information about that. When I have a 20-year-old child, I want them to find out that I used to play with Parliament Funkadelic. Well, yeah. I mean, I would love that, too, because it would mean that between now and when I have a child who's 20, I would be, have played with Parliament Funkadelic. But, um, yeah. So And then he started performing with them. And so he sort of played with a lot of, like, funk, like, sessions people. The people who play in his band are people who have played with Parliament and with various parliament, the parliament uh, expanded universe, if you will. <laughs> this is perfect the P- for the theme. The PEU. Is that still canon, or are we uh, relegating that to legends at this point? It's unclear to me what's canon I'm, I, I, in this whole situation. Yeah, sure. No, that makes sense. So this song is from his, I believe his second album, uh, 2019's Beyond the Magic Mirror. It's very, it's very funk. It's very parliament funk, specifically. Very spacey funk, hence the title of the song and also the title of the album and the title of most of the rest of the songs. There are like two specific things I wanted to talk about with this song. Okay, what are they? So the first is the doubled vocal harmonies that he's doing. Mm-hmm. You love talking about doubled vocals. Yes. Well, now I listen to doubled vocals and I'm like, oh, do these secretly suck? <laughs> I know. I feel the same way. So I feel mixed. But in this case, they're non-standard intervals is what I would say. Yes. Very jazz and funk-based intervals on the vocals and all up, like way up in his head voice. Yes, his falsetto. Right. Do you know what the interval is that he's like doubling along? Uh, I don't, and I didn't spend time figuring it out. Um, but it 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 gives this, and sort of the way that the vocals are recorded and mixed, the whole sort of vocal effect feels like things are a little bit off kilter the whole time, right? Yeah, exactly. Which feels, which doesn't is not a bad thing. It fe- it's feels intentional and feels right to me because it has that sort of um, like parliament vibe of like, there's just like people in a room, they're doing stuff, okay? We're just going to do stuff. No, I think this is a solid channeling of parliament, right? Yeah. Like it's very good. But also just like to contrast with the way he's up in his falsetto, there is like a moment in the song where a lot of the backing instrumentals drop out. And then, like, I think it's just, like, a couple notes he sings 
in like his chest voice, which is like bassy. And it's yeah. uh, a really cool transition effect that happens. Yeah, I love that moment where it's just like, whoa. Um, just sort of, and then he just goes back to it. Yeah, it's like a, a moment of grounding from the off-kilterness of the rest of the song. Yeah, the rest of it, it feels like you're just, it's it's like you're um, having an out-of-body experience, and then you have one like very visceral moment back in your body. Yeah, he talks about this music being like some semi-inspired by his own personal psychedelic experiences, right? Right. So perhaps that checks out. Yeah. Gabe, you have uh, taken this theme of, of the galaxy and uh, departed our own galaxy in search of another. Yes, but um, not too far away, Andrew. Oh, yes, of course. I mean, not as uh, the, the closest you could possibly get. That is true. This is Andromeda from Wise Blood off her 2019 record, Titanic Rising. Nothing in it for me except my heart that's lazy. You know, for a long time I did think it was Weyas Blood, and then I realized what the thing was. I do think this is a great place to start because I also thought this was Weyas Blood until two hours ago. So, Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm also very late on this train, but now I feel a little bit better. Wise Blood spelled... Okay, blood is spelled normally, but the Ys is spelled W-E-Y-E-S. Yeah. Um, and it's based off... Oh, it's based off a novel written in 1952 by Flannery O'Connor titled oh. Wise Blood, but like spelled normally. Mm-hmm. And she has actually gone through a couple iterations of spelling Wise Blood strangely. Uh, blood used to be spelled B-L-U-H-D. Oh, but I think it's probably important to mention that the she in question is Natalie Laura Merring. Merring was born in Santa Monica, California, oh. but was raised and went to high school in Doylestown, Pennsylvania. Oh! Thank you. Um, which is close to where you currently live, Andrew. Yeah, I've been there. I've been to Doylestown. This is her fourth full length as Wise Blood, um, Titanic Rising. Which came out two years ago to quite a bit of critical acclaim. Enough that it was maybe a, it's a little bit borderline of a pick. But I think it's good. It's a great song. So I think it's good. And it's also a creative variation on the theme. So wow. I like Is that choice. a compliment? Yes, it is. Amazing. Um, a couple other notes that I think are important about her. Um, she describes herself as a very nostalgic person. Which, boy, does that come through on the song. <laughs> and she's also pretty strongly influenced by Joni Mitchell, which maybe mm-hmm. comes through a little less, but also I think you can pick that up from her songwriting. And then her general sound may remind you of other artists that I've talked about recently on this podcast. Mm-hmm. But 
she's enough in that crowd that she was recently featured on the, the Lana album that came out like a month ago. She is so. a member of, of the titular country club. <laughs> yes. Actually, she's the chemtrails. She's a little bit more. <laughs> she's flying the plane. So this song, Andrew Andromeda, is the lead single off the record, and it definitely feels that way. Um, it's very like catchy and melodic and beautiful, and it's got this great sort of blissed out guitar sound that runs yeah, through Yeah, blissed out is a good way of describing it. One cool thing in the song is the drums for me, which give like the whole song like sort of a 80s feel. Like mixed <laughs> 80s mixed with like if there were dream pop in the 1980s, which maybe there sort of was. Um, yeah, I think there kind of was. Well, it was just that was we just called it pop then. Yeah, yeah, right. Um, so the drums are a big part of that, and it's a cool little drum machine that has a really interesting history. And if you're like into synths, it's called a Lin drum with two ends. But I was trying to like pinpoint what made me feel that way, and there's something about 80s synthesizers and drum sounds in particular that really pull me back to that specific era of music that I definitely experienced firsthand when I was living in the 80s. Andrew, you know about Andromeda the Galaxy. Yes. Now, you are a cultured individual. Are you familiar with the story? Mass Effect Andromeda, yes. I never played it, but I I have uh, heard a lot about it, yeah. Andrew, are you familiar with the mythological story of Andromeda? Uh, Definitely, but why don't you say it so that I can make fun of you if you get it wrong? Great. So, Andromeda was the daughter of uh, the king of Ethiopia and his wife, Cassiopeia, who is also a famous constellation. Cassiopeia boasts that she's more beautiful than some sea nymphs. So the Greek god of the ocean, Poseidon, sends a sea monster to destroy Ethiopia, basically. They end up having to sacrifice their daughter, like chain her to a rock. There's lots of, you know, paintings and sculpture of this sort of event. But she is saved by the heroic Perseus, who then whisks her away. You know, he just defeated Medusa. There's like a whole thing here. Yeah. So why is this important? Because the song is broadly based off of this idea of like the male savior figure and modern images and twists on masculinity and femininity. Maring has a like a professed love of both the deep space and the deep ocean. And I think Andromeda with like the sea monster and also Andromeda the galaxy sort of neatly ties that all together. But you know, like the the main one of the main lines in one of the choruses. Okay, a line in one of the choruses is, "If you think you can save me, I dare you to try." Which you know is allusive to the events 
of the mythology. She talks in an interview with Believer from a couple years ago about being raised in like this very traditional Christian family with uh, a father who is like the father figure and was, she says, the knight in shining armor. Mm-hmm. And, and like, seems like was a, a good person and made her feel like safe and taken care of. And, but also talking about how like then going out into the world and being sort of naive um, in her interactions with romance than like expecting sort of this sort of thing that's like antiquated really, right? But still like on some level desiring that, which again, I think is an interesting depiction of how our relationships with, our like partners and people in the world are so transformed by relationships with parental figures, but also um, how like the things that you might want or expect are also not the things that people give anymore. Kids these days is what you're saying. That's what I'm saying. Kids these days. Exactly. Thank you, Andrew. Gotcha. Let me in if I break and be quiet if I shatter get tired Andrew, with your new tune, you found a song with some hazy guitars yourself, huh? I did. And uh, you mentioned that Wise Blood is is heavily influenced by Joni Mitchell, which you maybe can't hear as well on that Wise Blood song. So if you want to hear someone who's very obviously influenced by Joni Mitchell, do I have the song for you? (laughs) Uh, This is Closer to Mine from the debut LP, Anything Can't Happen by Dorothea Pass. Do you try to fix it Or do you leave it behind Do you try to hide it So she is from Toronto and she has uh, played in a bunch of different bands, including, notably for uh, this podcast and for you, Gabe, uh, U.S. Girls. Ooh, nice. Yeah, that makes sense. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> sure makes sense. Um, yeah, and this is her, she's, she's had some like mixtapes and stuff, but this is her debut LP, um, which is pretty fucking exciting. Um, also, just we don't usually mention this, except uh, in jest. But I want to mention that uh, the album art is is a really beautiful uh, watercolor portrait of her, and that's by Vita Bayer. This song and this album as a whole, I think, is really, really incredible. I I loved it. I was not. I didn't know anything about it. I heard it for the first time. I was just so excited. It's so great, and in no small part because um, it is, like I said, heavily influenced by Joni Mitchell, whose music I thoroughly enjoy. But it's also not just like a Joni Mitchell copy like that one uh, Ray LaMontagne song from his album last year was. Um, (laughs) Wow, catching strays, damn. (laughs) 
Um, her vocals are really where you get the Joni stuff, both in the way she, that she sings, her melodies, certainly. Yeah. And then also um, the harmonies, much like Duke Sherelle, she's got some like pretty uh, distant, uh, like vocal doubling harmonies going on that feel very Joni Mitchell to me in the, in the intervals that she chooses there as well. Yeah, she does some really interesting work with vocal harmonies, I think. Um, because it's not just doubling, right? Occasionally there are even three or four voices, which is cool. And I think works well. Yeah, and and it also is, of course, influenced by the melodies and the chord progression she chooses, which are really inventive and exciting, much like Joni Mitchell's. But the rest of the song, I don't think sounds much like sort of the standard Joni Mitchell fare. Um, Like the instrumentation is really interesting. One of the things that I love, which to be fair, Joni Mitchell would also love, is the bass in this song. Yeah. Joni Mitchell famously dated a couple bassists. Anyway, um, uh, the bass is really cool, especially in the sort of latter half of the song. Um, It really comes in and, and comes in strong and guides sort of all the other components of the song. Um, it feels like it's it's like leading the rest the rest of the instrumentation. I I, I think it's so cool, um, and makes a cool uh sort of counterpoint to her very airy and high voice. Um, she's just sort of floating, and it feels like like you know the classic like effortless but also ludicrously complicated melody kind of thing that she's doing, and then this deep but also like. Um, you know, fusiony, Jaco Pistorius, who, who Joni Mitchell dated, a uh, kind of vibe of this this bass guitar, which is really wonderful. I'm not sure. There's a list of other personnel, but I'm not sure who the actual bassist is. Um, but whoever it is, sounds great. Great job. a particularly interesting contrast in the song between like the sections and sometimes at the same time, like what you're talking about sections that are like very broad and loose versus very tight and centered rhythmically. Yeah. Like her vocals are pretty uniformly like, yeah, kind of airy in that way. But even the like the, the instrumentation sometimes alternates between like, like a groove and then just sort of spaced out. Right, yeah. This this sort of like the the turning point in the middle of the song. I think it's a turning point in multiple ways. Uh, the lyrics also get more direct, but what you're talking about is how um, it just sort of like opens up, and it's just sort of the vocals with some of this like sort of rolling chords uh, in the background. And I, I love what she does with the lyrics there too, is... Um, sort of the beginning and the end of it are just sort of this sort of like vague uncertainty and uh, just like, just like questioning the, it, it ends with like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And there's a bunch of questions at the beginning and at the end. Uh, but at this center point where, where the music also opens up, she says like very directly, 
I long for a body closer to mine, um, which is, of course, the title of the song. Um, and she sort of directly says, like, here's exactly what I'm saying and what I'm sort of hinting at for the rest of it, which is an interesting sort of uh, juxtaposition because, of course, this is the point where musically it feels the most sort of vague and abstract. And in the rest of the song, the music feels more concrete, but her lyrical approach is more vague and abstract. I think that's so cool. Mm, yeah. Gabe, what's new with you? This song is titled Mama's Home, and it is by McKinley Dixon featuring Alfred off Dixon's new release, For My Mama and Anyone Who Look Like Her. So softly, these demons haunt me. Mama, keep them off me. She says, Everything gonna be okay. Yeah, yeah. Whispers to me, I know that it hurts. Sometimes, cuss can use water. Okay, so when do we get to talk about the flute solo? Yeah, it could be appropriate to maybe give a little background on the, the artist in the, in the album first. Fair what enough. do you think? That's up to you. I was just asking. Yeah, and then we'll get to the flute solo. So, this is McKinley Dixon. He is a rapper and producer and artist from Richmond, Virginia. This is his third studio record. I guess they're sort of supposed to be a trilogy, but this is the album that I think is really going to make waves and critical acclaim, and it's starting to get some real traction on the internet. Broadly, it's based around the trauma and the reckoning of the trauma of of his best friend being killed by gun violence in 2018 um, and his use of music as a form of therapy, which uh, feels like another album that I've brought recently. Yeah, sure does. Um, although I think this album is more upbeat in many ways. My initial reaction was, oh, this is probably about his his mother who has died, right? Because the album title is For My Mama, you know? Yeah, I mean, that's what I thought you were going to say uh, up until you said Best Friend. No, but she seems to be very alive and well, just a major influence on Dixon's life, as most mothers tend to be, <clears throat> especially recording this on Mother's Day. And he released this album right around then. Obviously, it's all kind of tied in there. Yeah, he's a pretty funny Twitter personality. Uh, and his tweet from today's Sunday, Mother's Day, is Happy Mother's Day to my mama, who do not be caring about this rap shit, bro. <laughs> um, here is an interesting fun fact. I love interesting fun facts. Andrew, McKinley Dixon's first show, like public show, was in 2016 at the house of Lucy Dacus. Wow. Not the if you had made me guess, 
I would have taken some time to guess that one. Yeah, right? I was like, oh, whoa, that's crazy. And he's like, yeah, this is like before she was, you know, Lucy Dacus. There was, maybe it was Paste Magazine featured one of his songs, like one of the, the pre-release singles that came out in April and had him next to like Lucy on their, I don't know, like the header photo for the article, <laughs> which he commented on being like, oh, huh, that's kind of funny. It's full circle. Um, Andrew, we just talked about album art with your album, but I think it's important mm-hmm. to mention the album art for this song. Or sorry, yeah, I mean for this song and for this album. Um, because it's a super gorgeous painting uh that looks like mixed media, you know, it's not like maybe crayon as well. It's very, very pretty and it's um done by Amber Pierce. Uh, so you should check that out and uh, when are we going to talk about the flute solo? Okay, so the flute solo, Andrew. Yeah, okay. Uh, what are your thoughts? I mean, just broadly about the instrumentation on this song is fascinating. Yeah, I mean, I was surprised. I was pleasantly surprised by the instrumentation in general. And then we got to the middle and there's a whole ass flute solo. That's like a huge part of the song. Yeah, the centerpiece of the song is like a jazz flute solo. And it's great. I mean, it's not like they're not fucking mailing it in. Who is playing the flute? I cannot figure out who's playing the flute or the harp okay. on this album. And it's, I'll just uh, assume that it's that Lucy Dacus is doing all of it. I think that's fair. Um, I think the instrumentation is important here because it is like the whole album, right? It's a rap album that is centered more around live instrumentation, which is uh, kind of a style of rap production that comes in and out of uh, Vogue, I suppose. You know, most recently, maybe, um, 2014, Kendrick Lamar's Tip of a Butterfly was all this, like, jazz-based backing um, instrumentals underneath his uh, flow, but Dixon very explicitly dismisses the idea of this being specifically influenced by Kendrick Lamar and that album. Huh. Which I find interesting. He talks about a lot of historical references and, like, other bands that are not even, like, have nothing to do with hip-hop. Um, but I will say I'm a little bit skeptical. Like, I, like I hear what he's saying, but he's, he cites his major influence for this style as Kamasi Washington. Okay. Who was the saxophone player on the on Tupimba Butterfly. Yeah. So, like, like, I feel what he's saying, but also there's, like, this key central artist that's tying all of this together in some ways but yeah the the this like big band style of like instrumentation i mean there's a harp that is so dominant in this song playing like the main riff yeah when i first heard that i i assumed it was a sample especially because there's like like they play a chord on the harp and they're like no no no, don't put that d in there or b whatever they say and then they play the chord again without that note um, but it really takes an active part in the song. What, whatever you think of the influences here, it's really beautiful and it's a, a cool style. And this song in particular 
is the second to last track on the album where the whole album is introspective, but it like dials back. There's more like up front, like the, the, the album opens with a banger, um, which is always important. But it, it provides really interesting contrast to have like some more traditional like electronic rap production also comes through. And then you get this song, which is like very acoustic and yeah, like harp and flute, right? And then really, I think really melodic rapping over the top. We don't we don't bring a lot of rap on this podcast, uh, Andrew. But and I don't necessarily think that we should bring more. I don't know that we're particularly adept at talking about it. Um, but something that I was impressed by is how like sing songy at times his rapping is. He has like some. Uh, rhythmic cadence that reminds me specifically of like earlier chance but hmm. but his he's like got more control over the pitch of his voice i think <laughs> okay um which is important and maybe that's like a piece of like rap that maybe that can be easily missed right like it's not just this rhythmic spoken word style there's Lots of melody and inflection um, that's dropped into like talented flows like this one. Throughout the album and on the song, Andrew, he like tackles some ideas of masculinity. Right towards the end of the song, he talks about like, like I know I'm a man, but can I like break down for a minute here, kind of thing. It talks about trying to process like the death of his friend and do so in like, you know, a socially acceptable way and some of the stigma around mental health and seeking out help in the black community. He does a really interesting interview with Flood Magazine. I'll just read from like one segment there because I thought it was great. Rap music is way heavier than a lot of people think it is, even people making rap music. Because we don't allow black people to be vulnerable, when we hear it in rap music, we're like, this is just really catchy. When, in actuality, it's someone processing pain. I just thought this album was so complete top to bottom. It's definitely my favorite rap record of the year so far. He does an incredible job of building a cohesive idea through the album while still varying the actual songs. And I think says a lot of important things. Shit happens so suddenly, it caught me off guard. Sadly, I know I'm crying. Baby, please don't look at me badly. Trying to process this the best that I can. Still be a Peter Pan, fly you to different land. Still trying to be a man. But can I break down for a second? Mama told me bad news to be expected. And Papa told me if it follow, you go undeflected, little nigga. I'm just trying to breathe, breathe, breathe. Cling to thoughts with Andrew, it was a great week for music, which is always so fun. Um, although neither of us had a ton of time to listen to music this weekend. No. But what else did you enjoy? Um, there were a lot of albums this week that I thought were really, really excellent, like like among my favorites of the year so far. Um, I want to mention first one that I did put on Twitter on Friday, which is Will Stratton's The Changing Wilderness. It's an absolutely gorgeous record that I have already purchased on CD um, for Bandcamp Friday. Um, really 
incredible guitar playing. He put out a video of the song that was that if I hadn't brought the song that I brought, I would have brought this uh, called Fate's Ghost. Um, there's a music video for that, that on either side of the like central video, there's a video of his left hand and right hand on, on the guitar, um, which is always cool for me as someone who plays a guitar and would like to learn how to play the song. But then I watched the fucking video and it's so complicated. It's incredible to see his hands, like how quickly they're moving and how like crazily crazy all the positions are. Um, it's really, it's a really excellent album. Uh, I highly recommend checking it out. There was another great hip hop record that came out this week that also does like the jazz influenced backing um, called imaginary everything from uh, MC Namir Blade and producer La Orange. There was an album from Nassim Yu called Potions, uh, with a in all caps with a space between each of those letters. Potions. Um, it's a really cool, really excellent sort of R and B influenced pop music. Um, strongly sort of Afro pop influenced pop music. Very cool. Uh, highly recommend. Really loved this album by Doty that came out. Um, yeah. called Build a Problem, which has uh, such range in lyrical content from like very self-serious to more like wry um, and self-aware and uh, really intimate vocals. Yeah. There's a great album from Rosalie, not Rosalia, Rosalie, uh, called No Medium. Uh, which is just just awesome. Uh, very good indie rock. Check it out. I like this little record from a Chicago artist named Mia Joy called Spirit Tamer that's like ambient-influenced, uh, kind of dreamy yeah. indie music. I don't know. Yeah. Um, and there's a cool uh, like posthumous record. I'm not sure exactly what the story is behind... Uh, these all these recordings if they're they were originally intended to be a record or what but um it's a posthumous record by tony allen Mm. uh, who is the drummer who we've talked about anytime we talk about afrobeat he is sort of yeah the 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 beat he's sort of the beat part of the word afrobeat (laughs) um so that's a cool album it's called there is no end um with a lot of good percussion that's all for our show this week you can find us on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod. Um, linked in the show notes is a Spotify playlist with the music that we feature on the show. Andrew and I will be back with more tunes and more grooves on May 18th. But for now, Star Wars Day. I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you have been listening to Fresh Pressed. <laughs>